All right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? All right. Good to see you guys. Hey, Bethany and I just got back and the kids from a 10-day vacation in Mexico, suffering for the Lord. Don't hate us because we're beautiful and tan and full of tacos. You know, I think, honestly, I was thinking, man, I hope everything goes well while I'm gone. And honestly, everything just went so good while we were gone, not just in church, but just in the world in general. I mean, the Ducks beat the Huskies. They beat the Cougars. We beat USC, which stands for Under Satan's Command. <clears throat> or Useless Spoiled Children is another uh, personal favorite. And uh, Kanye West got saved. I mean, like... Kingdom of God is on the move, right? So we're going to actually, we'll be here this week and then we're going to be gone again for 10 days just to make sure the ducks get through their season. And maybe like Oprah will become a Christian next. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm hearing like half groans, half laughs. I think it's probably okay. Uh, uh, man, so good to be back. So good to be here with all of you guys. I want to thank the team that served and did the five by five. Let's give them a hand two weeks ago. What an awesome time. So awesome. And uh, Justin and Kyle last week doing the, the session. Let's give them a hand. Great time. So cool. This is a, such a talented, incredible, gifted uh, church. Every one of us, every one of you, every one of us here together in this family has talent, ability, gifting, calling. God's put something inside of you to share. Uh, it doesn't mean just up on the stage. I'm not highlighting that. Just wh whatever God's called you to do. But God has put so much in so many people. So I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Well, today I am excited because we're jumping into a brand new series called Bigger. Somebody say bigger. 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 And we're talking about elevating our perspective of God, seeing how big, how amazing, how incredible, how over the top the God we serve is. You know, I was thinking about this the other day in Mexico. We were walking along the road and, and uh, they, they do the tacos al pastor. How many of you know that? And I'm a pastor, so tacos al pastor is what I'm all about. And uh, tacos al pastor, and they, they cook the meat on this spit, right? And it's there, and it's greasy, and it's pork, and it's, they, and it's, it's, it's spinning right there, and there's real fire, and, and it's just going there, and it's, the meat's dripping off, and they're shaving it off, and it's getting ready to go in the tacos. And as you walk by, you catch scent, the scent of this as you approach, and it's amazing. And then you see it right there, and it's right on the surface. And I'm telling you right now, they don't have to do any marketing for this restaurant because you're like, I'm in. I was sold. You had me two blocks away when I could smell this. And then as I get closer, I observe this incredible meat. How many of you are getting a little hungry right now? And it was incredible. And it brought this to my mind, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I thought about it. I was like, you know, churches, because I actually help churches across the world. I have an opportunity to coach and help churches. And I, I did a little, a little note for the, the guys that I coach, the leaders I coach. And I said, look, how many times as churches do we put all the good stuff way in the back and we make people sort of like come in and, and, and become part of the church and like all the good stuff when really the gospel should be right on the surface, just like the taco al pastor. Come on, taste and see. You know, the gospel is good. God is good. So many times we, we kind of are embarrassed about being a Christian and, and it's like we're, we don't really get how amazing it is that this God loves you so much that he made a way for you to come and have eternal everlasting life. Come on, the gospel should be good news and it should be right on the surface. And as we get into this series and we talk about God is bigger, I want us to just get absolutely out of control like a pig getting ready to jump into a pile of warm mud about how big and how amazing and how incredible God is. And it's going to elevate our faith and elevate our perspective of God. So today you have my 100% permission to leave here ridiculously 
encouraged and excited about the God that you serve. Uh, You have my permission today to leave here excited and encouraged about the big grace of God, about the big forgiveness of God that he's given to us. Come on, about the the big destiny that God has for you. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching good. I'm full of tacos and you're not giving me what I need today. Come on, shot me down. All right. So we're talking about how big God is. Now, you know, I I do have to say though, um, even though a lot of things went well while I was gone, I did come back to find that some of our disciples in the church have decided to have dirty mustaches. And uh, I don't know if you noticed here, but our dear Kyle and his dear friend Landon, where's Landon? What's up, guys? I don't know. Maybe next week I'll come back with a mustache. How many of you would? No, I did, I did do that for Bethany's birthday one year. She really wanted me to uh, have a mustache. So I shaved and I had a mustache. It's always a dirty mustache. There's no such thing as a mustache that's not dirty. And uh, and uh, she, she loved it. It was awesome. So anyways, we're going to jump in and talk about God, uh, talk about a bigger God, talk about how when we have faith in a God who is bigger than anything we will face, we're going to have bigger vision, bigger trust, and we're going to make a bigger impact on the world. Here's the thing. The level of God, the, the, the perspective of God that we have, the thoughts that we think about God is what sets the level of our boldness. It's what sets the level of our love. It's what sets the level of our worship. And it's really what sets the capacity for the impact that we can make in the world. And my thesis for you today is that if you're a follower of Christ, you're a person who actually believes in God, follows God, you're you're a card-carrying member uh, of the club, so to speak, um, that your perspective of God actually needs to be increased and elevated. I, I would propose to you today that most of us who are actually servants of God following Christ, we actually don't see God at the right level. We don't have the the high enough perspective of God. And dare I say, we tend to have a higher perspective of our challenges, our problems, and our own weaknesses and insecurities and problems. And faith is not just like having this sort of fantastical belief, like someday God will sort of show up from the clouds. No, faith is actually locking in and understanding who God is and then basing everything and everything becoming relative to who God really is. So getting that right, getting the right perspective of God is so important. So let me ask you this question. When was the last, what's the last, when was the last time you were literally in awe of God? Like when you were overwhelmed, I mean, I think about the prophet Isaiah, it says he gets taken up in a vision to heaven and he's there and he says, I'm undone. I'm literally coming apart at the seams, right? I'm breaking down because I'm so amazed. I'm so in awe. I think back in my life about some of the times I've been in awe of something. I remember when I was young, I got to go to the Grand Canyon. How, How many of you have ever been there? Now, when you think about it, it's really just a big hole in the ground but my goodness, what a big hole it is. (laughs) My goodness. If you go to the Grand Canyon and you stand on the rim and you look out, it's, it's absolutely breathtaking. I was in awe. If you haven't had an opportunity to go, you need to go. How many of you have been to our own national treasure, Crater Lake, right? And when you go to Crater Lake, how many of you have been there more than three or four times, right? You've been there a bunch of times, but when you go, even if you've been there three or four times, what does it do? It takes your breath away you're in awe because it's so vast, it's so grand, and you think, man, this is so much bigger than me. When is the last time you felt that way about God? When was the last time when you woke up in the morning and and you were desperate to get to the place where you read your Bible, where you pray, desperate to get to your chair, to get to your prayer closet, whatever that looks like, your breakfast nook, because you couldn't wait to tear into God's word, because you couldn't wait to get a glimpse 
of who he is and get a glimpse of his love. And again, I would say, I think we have too small of a view of God. Because when you think about it, if the president of the United States or, the, or a major uh, multinational CEO l- sent you a text message and said, I want to have an appointment with you, and it's going to happen at such and such a time and a place, we would be nervous. We'd be excited. We'd make sure we put on cologne and actually wore deodorant and doubled up. Come on, we'd wear the nicest shirt we had. We'd make sure we didn't have mustard stains on it. Like we would be ready for that moment. And yet when we come together to meet with God, oftentimes it's sort of like nonchalant, like, eh, Whatever. When was the last time you were literally in awe of God? I think about different times in life when I've just been blown away by something. I remember the first time I saw Addie's Diner pancakes. <laughs> How many of you have been to Addie's Diner here in Springfield, right? How many of you have not been to Addie's Diner? In Jesus' name, you will go. You will go. <laughs> and the pancakes should not be consumed by a person. I think Landon's name is on the wall there, isn't it? Isn't it? No, it's not. It's not you? Okay. Not you. Okay, but anyways, these pancakes are massive. They're, they're enormous, and they're, they're breathtaking, right? They're incredible. We love taking our kids there because we can get one pancake, and just the kids can just go at it, right? It's incredible. And I remember as a, as a young kid, another thing that really I was in awe of was Andre the Giant. How many of you remember Andre the Giant? I'm dating myself a little bit. If you've seen The, the Princess Bride, you know, Andre the Giant is there, and he's, he's the man. He's awesome. I remember as a kid, I heard my dad say something like Andre the Giant. I'm like, who's Andre the Giant? Because how many of you know that's a cool name, right? I wish my name was Andre the Giant. Who's your pastor? Andre the Giant. Wow, <laughs> you know? But I remember when I saw Andre the Giant, and he lives up to his name, and you're like, this is amazing, in awe of something. When's the last time you were in awe of God? Because I really think that we should spend our lives constantly amazed at the bigness, the grandiosity, the majesty of God. We should spend our lives always a little bit like nervous about how incredible God is. We need to elevate our perspective of God. In Psalms 147 verse 5, it says, how great is our Lord. How great. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. The Lord supports the humble. He brings the wicked down to the dust Sing out your thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to our God with a harp. He covers the heavens with clouds, provides rain for the earth, makes the grass grow in mountain pastures. He gives food to the wild animals. He feeds the young ravens when they cry. He takes no pleasure in the strength of a horse or in human might. No, the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, who have a holy awe and a holy reverence and follow God. Those who put their hope in his unfailing love. When's the last time you were in awe of God? How great is our God. His power is absolute. How many times do we elevate the circumstances or the struggles and we fail to worship God and recognize God and see God for how powerful and good and amazing he is? So again, today we're going to talk about this, but through the rest of this series, our thing is we're going to elevate our perspective of God. We're going to elevate our our perspective of God. I want to share a story with you today about a young man that we see in the scriptures that is, it's a famous story, and you probably know the story, probably heard the story, but we're going to look at it in light of what we're talking about today to elevate our perspective of God. There was a man in the Bible named David, and there's a story about David fighting Andre the giant, except for not Andre the giant. He's a mean giant named Goliath, right? And it takes place in 1 Samuel 17. But let me paint the picture for you. David has actually already been anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel, but he's, he's, he's living at his father's house. He's the youngest son. Uh, Some scholars actually believe that he's an illegitimate child. 
Uh, and so David really doesn't have all the advantages that his older brothers do, but God has pulled him out and selected him to be the next king of Israel, at least kind of behind the scenes. And he's there, uh, but his brothers are in the army and they're fighting in this particular valley against the Philistines. And at this time in history, what you would do is you would line up on opposite sides and you would yell at each other. It was kind of like Red Rover, Red Rover, send this person right over. And uh, you'd have a champion that would represent one side or the other. And so the Philistines, they found this guy. He's like Shaq, but not nice and not cool. Uh, his name is Goliath and he's a giant. He has six fingers. His name is Goliath of Gath, right? How many of you know that's an awesome ancient warrior name? Goliath of Gath. And we're familiar with the term Goliath. We kind of know it means like a giant. And Goliath is actually a giant. Some scholars think he's like 6'8", but actually the, the most up-to-date scholarship says, no, um, really the texts do actually indicate he's probably like nine feet tall. Uh, and, and, and whatever you think, he's an enormous man. He has a giant spear, crazy armor. He probably uh, is, he probably goes like that too, like a pirate. I, I'm just putting that out there. So Goliath is yelling at the armies of Israel across this valley. And I actually got to drive through this valley earlier this year in Israel. And it's not real wide. It's pretty narrow. It's kind of like you'd imagine it in the story. And so I can see Goliath like coming down from the little hill on one side and like, you guys stink, you know, and your God's lame. And, and that's not exactly what he said, but you know, generally that kind of thing. And send your guy over and Israel's all terrified with fear. And so David is at his, uh, he's watching sheep where he's at with his father, Jesse in Bethlehem. And his dad says, hey, your brothers are in the army. Why don't you go ahead and take some, some cheese and some bread, some supplies, and you're gonna go and you're gonna take, see what's going on, uh, connect with your brothers and bring back a report to me. So David goes to the battle. As he approaches, he hears Goliath calling out these taunts, mocking God's people, mocking the army of Israel, so on and so forth. And David is like, look, that's, what's going on here? Why is nobody stepping up to go and fight this battle? And so David ends up saying, hey, I want to fight him, right? And this is where we kind of jump into the text here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David ends up getting a meeting with the king of Israel, a guy named Saul. And so in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32, it says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul, I'll go fight him. And I want you to hear what King Saul says. He says, thanks, David. I really appreciate you have a, a servant heart. No, that's not what he says. He says, don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. In other words, this guy's been a warrior since he was a little kid. You're just a boy and you're not a warrior. No way. But it says in verse 34, but David persisted. Let me tell you, when you actually see God at the right level, you will press through criticism. You will press through uh, other people saying, no, you can't, this can't be done, okay? He says he persisted. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. And what he's saying here in ancient Israel code is I'm a bad mama jamba. That's what he's saying. It's in the Hebrew. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. How many of you hunter men are like, urgh, urgh. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he had defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. If you're real religious, you say Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. And then Saul gave David his own armor, uh, but David, he said, I've never worn these things. I'm not going to use these, this armor. And says, uh, he took them off again in verse 40. He goes, he gets five smooth stones from a stream. 
And then it says, then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. So David steps out and looks to some at, like he's under-equipped for this mission, for this job. But he's using what he's comfortable with and he's walking in what God has prepared him to do. He doesn't wear the armor of the king. He doesn't step out uh, in presumption, uh, trying to be somebody he's not. He's, he's wearing the armor that he's comfortable with, which is no armor at all. It's his shepherd's tools, uh, which are not like just, they actually are weapons, a sling, okay? He, 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 this is what he, he understands. And so he, he goes out across the valley to fight the Philistine. And it says in verse 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. And that's where the ah, thing comes in, right? He's sneering. And he says, am I a dog? He roared at David, that you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Now I want you to hear this right now. David is not walking out saying, I'm gonna kick your butt, Goliath because I'm, I'm a bad mamba jamba. David knows who he is. He knows what he's all about. He knows that he's taking down lions and bears, but he gives credit where credit is due because it's not about the size of you in the fight. It's about who's behind you and whose fight it really is, okay? And so sometimes we hear messages like this and we're like, man, God is big and I can do whatever I want because I'll step out into any fight and God's got my back. No, you gotta fight God's battles. You gotta be where he wants you to be and position correctly. If you're positioned correctly, then you're in alignment with God and God's with you. David says, look, this is, uh, the, uh, the Lord will conquer you. And he says, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And that's metaphorical. He didn't really mean it because that's, uh, no, he meant it. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. In verse 48, the action intensifies. It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. And this is where it turns into Gladiator or like that movie Troy or something where this ancient battle is going on. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Okay, unapologetically, that's an awesome story. If you're offended, I'm sorry, but it rocks. Okay, David has this great battle. David has this great victory but I want us to go back through this account and this story. And obviously we know the story of David and Goliath. We've heard it before. Oh, David kills Goliath. But I want you to see within the text here that what's really being communicated is not that David is so amazing, that he's so awesome, that he's so confident in himself and his abilities that he, he goes and does everything. You see, we live in a culture where everything's about, man, you got to know who you are and, you know, self-actualize. And like when you connect with like your inner brilliance, then you'll shine and everyone will see how amazing you are. And actually, like fulfillment and satisfaction in life and really where victory comes from is recognizing, you know what? Actually, I want to give glory to God. Like I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to, to burn brightly, but only so far as I'm reflecting God out into the world, okay? And so the bigness of God is what comes to the forefront here. 
that this is what David operates in, which is a, he lives his life in awe of God, and he operates with what looks like in, insane arrogance or optimism, uh, you could say, to be kind. He operates with this crazy amount of confidence, but it's not confidence rooted in himself or in even his own righteousness or in his own fulfillment of walking according to wise principles. His confidence is not rooted in himself. His confidence is rooted in his relationship with God and his connection with the heart of God to know the purposes of God. Come on. And when you are in alignment with God's heart and when you are in alignment with who God is, you can do some pretty amazing things in life as long as you don't reach out to touch God's glory. Come on. You see, there's been some times in my life where I've done some things where I wanted to like look at my hands and go, my goodness, what's going on? You know what I mean? Prayed for somebody, they got healed. Did I do that? Kind of like Steve Urkel, you know what I mean? Did I do that? The reality is no, God did it. I get to be a vessel, I get to be a conduit. Come on, living for the glory of God. When we're in alignment. So this is what David, where David is at. So let's look at this story. I wanna give you a couple of principles to look at the fact that God is bigger. Number one, God is bigger than our shortcomings. God is bigger than our shortcomings. You know that God gets glory when he works through our weakness. Many times we're always trying to build up our strength so that then we can do something for God. And God would actually prefer, and God will actually use you when you will actually step out in your weakness. Because when you step out in your weakness, God is the one that gets the glory. Because people don't say, man, look at you. You really did that. You're so strong. You're so powerful. People go, wow, I know that. Jake couldn't have done that unless God was with him and God gets glory in that moment. God wants us to work in our weaknesses. God wants us to step out and serve. God wants you to start that joy group even though you're nervous and, 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 and hesitant. God wants you to talk to that coworker about Christ. God wants you to go across the street and give cookies to your neighbor. God wants you to take that next step of faith before you're ready because when you're in your weakness, he's gonna get glory and that's where his strength is revealed. But God is bigger than all of our shortcomings. As the apostle Paul said in the book of Corinthians, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the sort of... can't think of the word here, but it's kind of that uh, juxtaposition that we hold, this truth intention uh, in the Christian faith is that we, we embrace our weakness because it, we know that in those moments when we are actually weak is when God is strong and when God gets glory. And this is why Christians throughout history have actually been, uh, when the Christian faith actually grows through persecution, the Christian faith actually expands and grows through weakness, because really when we're weak, we, we turn to God and we go, God, you got to show up and do something. Like all the great miracles in the Bible are not done as these great acts of power and authority. They're usually done when people's backs are completely against the wall and a miracle is the only thing that would break through. And we need to understand God is bigger than our shortcomings. In fact, if we would actually step out into the place of, in our weakness and we would step out, we would actually see God show up. One of the reasons that I, I still believe God does miracles, God heals the sick, God does incredible miracles. I think the reason we don't get to see them very often is because we're, we've, we've prepared ourselves so well to not need a miracle. You know, when's the last time you dared to do something so big for God that it was doomed to fail if he didn't show up? And I think about Moses leading the people of Israel right to the shore of the Red Sea and thinking, oh snap, 
Let me just tell you, as a leader leading our church to uh, the, the purchase of Skate World, uh, I'm going to tell you, there were some moments where I was white knuckling it because I was up here telling y'all, hey, we're going to Skate World. Yeah. And then I'm hearing from Mark and we're talking in the back, uh, in the back offices like, well, we're only several hundred thousand dollars short of even being able to make this deal that we already made with the people that want to sell us this building. You're like, you're just telling us that now? <laughs> no, because you got, because God showed up. He moved and he's moving us and he's still moving us. Come on. But you know what? There's, there's moments in life when you have to step forward and it's absolutely, it looks crazy to everybody else except God is bigger than my shortcomings. And he, in my weakness, he is strong. Come on. And we see this with David in verse 33 when Saul tells him, look, don't be ridiculous. What, who right now in your life is saying, hey, Tom, don't be ridiculous. You can't do this. You know what I mean? Jeremy, don't be ridiculous. You, you, you can't do this. You're trying to take on this giant. You're trying to start this business. You're trying to, you're trying to ask that girl to marry you. Like, don't be ridiculous. Like, you think that you, that one I'll say to any guy trying to ask my daughter to marry him. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Show me your stock portfolio. Let's talk after that. All right. Don't be ridiculous. Who's, who, what voice in your life is saying that to you right now? There's no way you can fight. Don't be ridiculous. And the reality is that is the place oftentimes where when you're in alignment with God, where God's actually going to move. He's bigger than your shortcomings. Come on. And I'm just telling you right now, if we would catch this as a church, if every individual here would say, look, yeah, I have weaknesses. Yes, I have failures. Yes, I have shortcomings, but I'm going to continue to obey God and take steps forward in what God's called me to do. You will see God show up. We will see more miracles when we need miracles because our faith is calling that miracle out. Come on. You ever done a siphon before? Let's go into some scientific principles here. You know the principle of a siphon? So like if you need to siphon gas out of somebody's car, anybody ever done that? Well, I just needed some. No, I'm kidding. But a siphon is there where you put, uh, let's say a tube or a straw into, it's how we drink, you know, a drink. You put a, a straw into a cup and then you create a vacuum inside of your mouth, right? You with me? And you, and you suck up that liquid, Okay. I want you to understand that weakness and the opportunity for a miracle and actually having faith in that moment is you're beginning, your faith puts suction on the straw and it actually draws out the power of God and it siphons the miracle into existence. Ponder this and grow wise. Okay, number two, God was bigger than every challenge. God was bigger than every challenge. He's bigger than our shortcomings, but he's also bigger than every challenge. David tells Saul, look, I have done this to both lions and bears. The history that I have is the faithfulness of God. My life is the, the story of God showing up when I needed him to show up. And I'm still here because God has actually showed up time and time again. David goes back and he says, uh, uh, God has been faithful to me. I was able to overcome every challenge. And I want to ask you this. Do you see the bigness of God? Do you see the bigness of God in every challenge? Do you remember and recount the faithfulness of God in your life? Do you remember See, I think about Joy Church and I go back to when we started just a couple of years ago and there were 29 of us inside my living room uh, up on the hill in South Eugene. And there we were with our really butt ugly, uncomfortable metal chairs and, and we were starting the church and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, this isn't gonna work. And then we grew explosively from week one to week two. We went from 29 to 22 people. Some of you have joy groups with more people than that. And here we are, and I'm telling people, well, our kids' ministry, is, it's called the garage, and it's not fancy. It's actually in our garage. 
It literally was, you know, we put some, some tarps down and that's where the children are. Nothing but the best for the kids at Joy Church. But I look back and I go, yeah, but God was there. He was with us. He delivered us from the, from the, from the, the living room. We went to the Hilliard Community Center and we grew and God moved in our church. And then we came to the movie theater. I remember being on the phone with my dad saying, hey, we have an opportunity to go to Regal Theaters. And he goes, well, can you afford it? No, uh, definitely not. He goes, how long could you afford it? Like maybe a month with our current church budget uh, if, I, if I don't get paid this month. You know, we, and he goes, well, he goes, Jake, this isn't the time to play it safe. It's time to roll the dice. God is with you. Come on. And here we are. And, here, and, now, and now we're going from here and we're going go to go the, to the Skate World building because what are we doing? We're not, we're not moving in presumption. We're moving according to the faithfulness of God. At every level, we're saying, God, we're creating a moment for a miracle Believing in your bigness, God, you're bigger than every challenge. We don't make decisions based on the size of the problem. We make decisions based on the size of the God that we serve and that we follow. And if you will live your life this way, it's called walking by faith, not by sight. And it doesn't mean being crazy or insane. It means that you have a trust because of a history lesson that you remember all the time about the faithfulness of God at every level. And I just want to tell you right now, God is bigger than every challenge. And your current challenges right now that seem so big are probably just the training wheels for your faith for the next season. Listen, David had to fight lions and bears. How many of you, if you ever fought a lion or a bear, you'd be like, I'm done. That's enough. I got my story. Well, back when I was your age, young whippersnapper, I was fighting bears and lions, barehanded, you know, killing them with clubs. Sure, grandpa. No, really, it's true. And here's David as a young man. He's already, he's already seen great victory in his life where a lot of people would be like, that's pretty awesome. And yet that was just the training wheels for his faith to bring him to this challenge to face this giant. Number, number three, God is also bigger than every giant that you will face. God is bigger than every giant. Let me just tell you, in life, you will have tribulation. You will have troubles. There will be storms. There will be giants that you will be called to fight. But God is bigger than every giant. Do you know that every problem and challenge is simply a matter of perspective? Every mountain is a molehill to God. The greatest giant, the greatest challenge you will ever face is really not a challenge to the God you serve. And if you would simply elevate your perspective, it all comes into, it comes into, into clarity. We know, as we went on our vacation, we, we flew out of Eugene and uh, it was a nice, clear time. We kind of got above the clouds and I was able to see and look down. You know, when you're driving on I-5, when I go back to my hometown in Medford and you're driving through the mountain roads and the, the peaks and it's, it, you feel very much in, small with those mountains. But when you go up to 25, 30,000 feet, everything looks kind of flat from that perspective. It's a matter of perspective. And I want you to understand that God wants to give you his perspective that he's bigger than every giant. From a God's eye view, your giant is a very small problem. And so it's time to stop looking at the size of your circumstance and start looking at the size of your God. Many times when we talk about what it means to be a person of worship, hey, I'm a worshiper. I'm a person that loves to worship God. We associate that correctly, but not completely, not comprehensively. We associate that with what we do on Sundays where we sing songs. But a life of worship is much more than singing songs. A life of worship is to have an elevated perspective. You're in awe of God and you, you live your life flying above the, you're flying the friendly skies above every challenge. You don't allow the size of your circumstances and problems to loom large in your life. You, you constantly are looking for a higher view of God 
which allows you to transcend and walk, uh, walk higher than you would walk by yourself. Are you with me? God is bigger than every giant, every giant you're gonna face in life. Maybe today you're facing a disease. Maybe you're facing marriage trouble. Maybe you're facing uh, circumstances in your finances and it's a giant and you're scared because it's yelling at you from across the valley and everybody else is afraid and nobody else wants to fight it. But again, get a glimpse of the bigness of God in this circumstance. Next point, God is bigger than the battle. In verse 47, it says, and everyone assembled here, David is, is talking to, to Goliath and he's, he's giving him some theology here. He gives him a theology lesson before he cuts his head off. Probably not the best way to evangelize. Um, <laughs> that was an awesome joke. Okay, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. I just want to tell you right now, God is bigger than the battle. Whatever you're facing, whatever battle, we talked about it. he's bigger than your shortcomings. He's bigger than that giant, but he's also bigger than the battle itself. And we need to understand that if it's God's will, I love this phrase, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. How many times do we let a battle dictate to us how we're going to operate in life rather than allow God to dictate how the battle's going to go? Come on. God is bigger than the battle. I want to tell you today, never be dissuaded, never be discouraged from a challenge that the Lord has led you to, because if he led you to that challenge, then that battle is the Lord's. When we planted Joy Church, I'd never one time thought, man, this is all about me and my ability to preach. It's all about Bethany and I and our ability to lead, and it's about our ability to get people to show up, and it's about our marketing, and it's about our groups. No, we said, God, if this is your will, then it's your bill. God, if this is your uh, will that we step out in faith with this small group of people and start the church, then God, it's your battle because God is bigger than the battle. But guess what? God always gets the glory in that. Come on. But God is bigger than the battle. Maybe right now you have a battle that you're sort of hesitant to fight, but you know God has brought you to that place and you need to understand, hey, the God I serve is bigger than this battle. I can walk forward in faith and victory. And then last one, and we'll move on. God is bigger than the victory. Here's the thing, guys, beyond all of this, beyond everything that happens with David, beyond everything that happens in the story with Goliath and all of this, and beyond what happens in the circumstances of life as we're serving God and following God, we need to understand that a relationship with God is bigger and better than anything else that we get from God. There is no victory that I win in life, whether it's a victory in finances or a victory in faith or any kind of victory of uh, God doing something great in my life None of that compares to the inestimable, inestimable value of Jesus and knowing God and connecting with God. The relationship with God is the prize. God is bigger than the victory. C.S. Lewis once said, and I love what Justin said, it's like basically in the bylaws that you have to give a C.S. Lewis quote, and here it is. He that has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. The beautiful thing about being a follower of Christ is that, again, in our weakness, he is strong. And yes, we win victories. And yes, we walk in faith. And yes, we kill giants. And yes, we see all the things that God does in our life. But the beauty of that is even if we didn't win the battle, you always win the war because God wants to give you his heart and give you himself. And a relationship with him is the greatest treasure, the greatest prize. And that even if on this side of eternity, the battles that we fight don't appear to go our way, in the end, all things will be made new by the one who made all new things. 
and God will wipe every tear from your eye, and our God is bigger than even the victory that he will give to us even as we walk in this life. See, the thing about a Christian is we believe in two kingdoms. We believe in a kingdom now, a kingdom that is eminent and here, a kingdom that Jesus inaugurated when he came down to this planet where he invaded our mess and our muck, and he said, let me show you how to live your life on this side of eternity. But we also look forward to the coming kingdom. Come on, we look forward to the coming kingdom, what we call going to heaven or what we call the kingdom come, where God steps back in and he says, okay, now this sort of experiment is over. Now every knee, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus and every tongue will confess. And now I'm gonna make everything right again. And the new Jerusalem comes down and we look forward to that. And this is what I love about being a Christian is that walking in victory doesn't always mean that in the play-by-play -play you win every time, but it means that at the end of the game, you always do. Not to make it an Oregon Ducks thing, but like last night, how many of you in the first quarter are like, fire Arroyo, Herbert's no good. What a bad interception. We're down 10 to zero and we're going to fall to the mighty Trojans. Except for at the end of the game, one team was dancing and singing. Come on, because the Ducks are God's team and God is bigger. <laughs> hey, the Beavers got to win too. We can all be happy. No, beyond that, God is bigger than every victory because of relationship with him is really where it's at, what it's about. So when we elevate our perspective of God, we're going to see incredible things take place. I want to give you three takeaways today. I'm going to give, you to the, give, you the, give, give them to you lightning fast. Number one, believe in a big God. Don't have a weak and worthless faith in a tiny God. Maybe you're, as a Christian right now, you have a weak, tiny, itty-bitty, silly faith. And I want to encourage you today to bolster it and build it up and work that muscle and begin to believe in a bigger God. Number two, set your sight on him. The old songs, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Set your eyes upon Jesus. Don't look at yourself or your circumstance. Keep your eyes on God. And then number three, be bold because God is big. What are you going to do for the kingdom because God is with you? David, again, appears to be reckless, appears to be almost arrogant. He steps out into this incredible moment of victory. And why did he walk in that boldness? It wasn't because he trusted himself. It's because he trusted in a ridiculously big God. So I want to challenge you today. Elevate your perspective of God. God is bigger than everything that we're going to face. And we want to be those people of worship with an elevated perspective who live our lives completely in awe of God. You know, today, as we get ready to close, I think there's been something here for everybody to, to draw from. Hopefully, again, you are encouraged as you go. But I want to make an opportunity, an invitation to you. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you know, you came to church today for some reason. And I don't know the reason why, but here's what I do know. That God who loves you so much, who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, for my sins, he orchestrated you to be here today. It's not an accident. And that God that loves you so much wants you to come into his family. And we get into the family of God simply by trusting in the work of Jesus that again, he paid the price for our sin, the things that separate us from God, the things that we've done to hurt ourselves and hurt others. When we've fallen short of God's glory, fallen short of, of God's standards, Jesus died for you, for me to pay that price and reconcile you with God. And by putting your faith and trust in Jesus today, you can be part of God's family. And just like the tacos al pastor, God doesn't hold back his goodness. 
It's not like, well, in five years after you've proved it that you really are serious about being a Christian, then you get what God has for you. No, the minute you call upon the name of the Lord, it says you will be saved. There's something so beautiful and scandalous and reckless about God's grace that he wants to give you today. I had somebody ask me, they said, what do you think about Kanye getting saved, you know, on on social media? What What do you think about that? And I'm like, well, I haven't given it much thought, but I think Christians should always celebrate over the top when anybody gives their life to Jesus. Well, you think it's real? I don't know. I don't know if my faith is even real. So I'm just going to be excited when somebody's proclaiming Jesus. Come on. Because, come on, the tacos al pastor is on the front. <laughs> you want to you jump into the Jesus tribe, you get to jump in because I'm not the gatekeeper. You, you put your faith and trust in Christ. So if that's you today, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes today. If that's you today, if you're like, Jake, I want Jesus, real, authentic, tacos al pastor, Jesus. I want a relationship. I want, I want him to pay for my sins. I want to receive what he did for me and follow him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand today? Just raise your hand. If you want to follow Jesus, I want to put my faith and trust in him. And let's pray. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I thank you that you paid for my sin and made a way for me to be reconciled with God. I give you my life, every part. And I thank you that you've made me right with you and part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen.